Get ready. Three, two, one, zero. You are listening to the Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Ryan Livergood, Trey Barrett, and Will Greenwood. We are the Fantasy Joes, bigger, better, badder than ever. We've been reading Reddit boards, and we've learned that what you don't want from us is for the, hey, how you doing? So, Will, we're going to go right to it. What is the major dynasty takeaway from your rookie drafts that you've been doing, Will? Well, I'll tell you what. The number one thing I've learned this week while doing rookie drafts is that first-round picks are way overvalued during draft time. Trey Barrett. Well, uh, Ryan, I'm not even. Uh, <laughs> We've also learned that you've got to have a radio voice. So Yeah, I don't have a radio. I've got I taught it. a six-hour class today. I have very little voice left. <laughs> you, know, you know what I've taken away? I've taken away that some of the best picks I've made this year are when I've traded up because there's this incredible phenomenon going on right now in rookie drafts where everybody wants to trade down. Of course they do, Trey, because every podcast is saying, trade down, man. you got to trade right. down. That's, and, and you guys know this from being in leagues with me, startups. I'm always looking to trade down. Well, I've made several trades up because – and I feel like that there's been some really decent values because nobody is really responding and inquiring about trading up. So I feel like I've made some pretty nice acquisitions in moving up and giving some future picks that I don't value too highly. So that's, that's one of my takeaways. I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn too hard here, but uh, I remember during the – Drafter party where Will was like, hey, this is a year where if you're confident in somebody, it's a time to trade up into the spot you want to get that guy. And I'm pretty sure I got dogged on pretty hard during that. And it's kind of offensive with this new radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I, I, but I did, I did say that. I, th- I think this is a great year to, to trade up and get the players you want. It's super fun. It's not like yeah, last year where it's impossible to get in the top six. Yeah, all three of us have done that in our drafts. We, we've all moved up in, in various drafts and, and been successful. So, no, I, I, I agree. Like, get your guy. And we're going to talk about with, uh, with Narrative Street, which is coming up in a second, that, um, you know, the narratives kind of control these drafts. I mean, we've been in drafts. What, what was the draft, Trey, the draft you're in with Josh Rosen? You were in a draft. You got Josh Rosen in the, somewhere in the second round, a Superflex rookie draft. Like, yeah. what, comp- compare yeah. your drafts. Yeah, it's so funny. I was just thinking, I, man, I should have mentioned that. So this is the other thing I've learned is that every draft is its own unique economy and own unique setting for player value. So I was in two different leagues that I drafted Josh Rosen. Both leagues are literally identical as far as scoring, starting requirements, roster size, everything. They're 12-man super flex leagues, and I was targeting a quarterback in both leagues. Well, in the first league, Josh Rosen, for some crazy reason, is hanging out at 203. So I had the 208 pick. I had traded all my picks in season last year, acquired the 208 in a trade right at the end of the year. So I traded the 208 and my 2019 second to move up to 203, where I selected Josh Rosen as the second quarterback off the board. In the other league, the league and it's a league I commish, same exact scoring format, super flex 12 team, I selected Josh Rosen with the 105. Um, so, I mean, clearly, and, and, and I felt like getting Rosen at the 105 in a super flex league was good value. Like, I don't feel like I had to reach to get my guy. I mean, he's my third right. ranked rookie in that format, but it, just the, the, the diversity 
from league to league on how a guy like that falls, you know, that far, like 10 spots down was, was pretty remarkable. I was happy it happened, but. It's wild because we've also been in drafts where DJ Moore has gone at the second overall pick. Then in one of our leagues at Superflex, he went, Trey, you got him at the, like the 201 in one of our drafts, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's just craziness out there in terms of, you know, where guys might fall. So anywhere from like the 102 to early in the second round, yeah, yeah you just got to go get your guys. Uh, 107 in our 14 team league. And I was just, I was just floored that that was available. Yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of fun. So these drafts have been so much fun, auctions have been so much fun that are going on. So, but we're gonna jump into our um, basically our segment for the night, and our segment for the night is called Narrative Street. Okay, here we go. I just can't wait for this. It's gonna be so awesome. It's draft day. I've analyzed the film all the way. On my way. That is how we get how we get to narrative free. <laughs> I'm dying over here. Oh my god! Oh my! Nailed it! God. Wow! All right, all right, all right, all right. Chris Harris has nothing on us. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I'm gonna say is, but the music is so loud in my earphones, I can't even hear. So I'm like screaming in my apartment, getting oh. texts from my wife to tell me to quiet down. Tears! It's literally <laughs> tears. Oh, oh man! So. All right, narrative street. So. What is this segment all about? Well, basically, it's about... Are you not entertained? (laughs) Are you not entertained? (laughs) (laughs) Another thing we learned from that Reddit post is that you want us to be entertaining, so we're composing music for you. Um, Okay. That that needs to be the YouTube segment. (laughs) Okay, I can't... All right. (sighs) Narrative Street. Narrative Street. So we continue to hear these narratives, these stories, and that's what we hear this time of year, right? These stories about what a rookie might be, what a rookie may not be, why this rookie is going to be this phenomenal player, why they're not going to be a phenomenal player. So what we're going to do in this segment is we're going to talk about narratives, what narratives you should believe and listen to, what narratives you should not. So Will, what's a narrative that might be, oh, in the segment we're calling Narrative Street, the good, the bad, and the Joey. So, Will, what's a narrative that you would say would be good when you go down Narrative Street, one that you want to actually listen to? So, here's one thing that, that kills me is the mouths to feed narrative of what people are talking about. And I want to give you another narrative that's going to counteract this, and it's Angry Big Ben. When have you ever seen Ben Roethlisberger actually get angry about any traffic that the Steelers have ever made? And he is super upset so what he's going to do he's going to be slaying the ball to all the wide receivers to show that the organization he has so much left in his arm think 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 angry tom as of you know a couple of years ago and what he was doing right when he came back and so to think that uh they're the you know the wide receiver that's drafting this year isn't going to produce whatsoever i think the angry big Ben narrative will play more into what they're doing as an offense and he's going to set career records for passing touchdowns yards and you know, how it affects Le'Veon Bell, we'll see what he does in the passing game. But in general, 
uh, I think the angry Big Ben narrative needs to play into the, the rookie focus here. Yeah, one thing I think about Big Ben, too, is you're right. I mean, whether he's got one year left, two years left, three years left, I mean, he wants to win now. That's very clear. And, man, does that Pittsburgh team have the weapons to do it? Um, with, with A.B., with Juju, with James Washington, with Le'Veon. Um, I would even say Vance McDonald. Vance McDonald was one of the guy, those guys that I thought they might cut due to salary cap reasons because he's not a cheap player for them to have, but they have him on their team. So I like this narrative. I think Big Ben could have a, a big year. And it, it, I think it also relates to – if you want to just relate to straight rookies, it relates to James Washington and what he can do. You're talking about a receiver who his best game is the deep game, and that – you're not going to get a wide receiver one at the end of the season, but week to week, he has wide receiver one potential every single week, especially with the super red-faced, uh, slow-moving, angry Big Ben. No, I, I think that he's definitely a winner from the draft. I think that, uh, once again, I, I, I want to harp on this more and more because Vance McDonald is a very talented tight end, and they didn't cut him. Jalen Samuels, they've said that he is going to be a running back for that team. They didn't do anything to, to address the tight end position in the draft. So Vance McDonald's the guy. Remember in that Jacksonville game, he had a great game. So I think he's a guy you can get for free or cheap. Um, Vance McDonald is a guy that I'm really interested in acquiring. Trey, what do you think about this, uh, this good narrative, Angry Big Ben? Yeah, I think, that, I think that, you know, I'd put Big Ben up there with, with a couple other quarterbacks that I think could see a little bit of a renaissance, if you will. I think, uh, you know, you – you hit the nail on the head. I think that we could see a really good season from Ben Ross. I, I, it's so funny how the media spins things and tries to turn something into a story when there's really nothing there. Um, but I do think that Ben, I think that with, you know, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster a year older and now adding James Washington, I think you know, there's a lot of people that think James Washington has the potential to be molded into a, a guy much like Antonio Brown, you know, he's not just a deep guy. So I, I do like that. I, I think that it's a, a great, uh, a great narrative street. <laughs> Especially it's better than mopey, sad, big Ben from last year. Like, Oh, I may retire. Might not do anything. <laughs> Actually, I think for James Washington though, like if you're snagging him in the middle of the second round, you're getting a huge value. And I love that. And I think the narrative of angry big Ben and what he's going to do uh, it, one, it's a fun narrative to follow. And two, it's one that you're – it's a low-risk, high-reward chance to, to get a receiver that could play for your team on a week-to-week basis. I've got a question for you guys. Uh, speaking of that same team, Le'Veon Bell, because I have Le'Veon Bell in a league that we're all in, and I think my team is very, like, sketchy, whether we're gonna, I'm going to compete or not. I, I, I lost the championship game to Trey last year, but my roster is not very good. I've got – I call, my team's actually called a few studs and several duds. One of the studs is Le'Veon Bell. And I've not gotten a great amount of interest in him trying to shop him around, trying to kind of think about a rebuild. So I guess I'm going to go for it this year. So what do you think about Le'Veon Bell and his value? I, I mean, clearly if you look at ADP, you know, he's, he's one, you know, he's a first round draft pick, but it doesn't seem like people want to pay that for him. So if you're a contender, do you think he's kind of a sneaky buy, kind of a guy you can get cheaper than, um, the, the, you know, than, than maybe the ADP shows that he, you know, that people are uh, like allegedly willing to pay for him? Yes, I do. 100%. I think the there's very few guys on a week-to-week basis that can single-handedly win you a week, and Le'Veon Bell's one of them. His abilities, not just running the ball, but throwing the ball. You know, we just talked about the passing game, adding another weapon. Le'Veon Bell's going to get used. And I think that this narrative that 
he's old, he's done, he's got all these touches, you know, he's only 26 years old, okay, so in the grand scheme of things, as far as the NFL uh, and running backs, he's still got two to potentially three years of great production, and the key for me with a guy like Le'Veon Bell is he could go somewhere, let's say that the Pittsburgh doesn't resign him, and he goes somewhere, like, let's say he goes to Indianapolis, okay, and Indianapolis decides that he's kind of on the tail end of his career. So let's only give him 150 carries. But with Le'Veon Bell, he could transition into a guy that can get 150 carries and catch 80 or 90 balls because he's so incredible as a receiver. I mean, he I don't know that there's another running back in the NFL that gets split out wide and runs routes the way. I mean, David Johnson's probably close, but Le'Veon Bell, if he went full-time to wide receiver, would be a fantasy contributor. So I think that the thought that he's kind of close. So yes, I'm being long-winded. That's how I roll. I, I do think, I think that he's a great buy. <laughs> Huge production this year. And I think he's still got two or three years left of locked in RB1 production. And that's kind of what made me think that sometimes this happens in leagues when you're trying to sell a guy because you're trying to get younger or whatever. Then it's like, I'm having problems selling this guy, but he's a stud. I mean, this is a league winner that people aren't really interested in. And now I'm thinking, I need to try to buy him other leagues because if people see him this way, then maybe I can get him for another contender in another league. Will, you have anything to, to say about that or... Uh, I, I really loved your points there, Trey, on him being a receiver. And I think that's super important to his production moving into the future. Because uh, he feels like a system running back, does he not, overall, uh, in that Pittsburgh offense? I, I feel like he feels like a really big system running back, especially what Damian Williams did – or, sorry, D'Angelo, D'Angelo Williams did there when he was in there replacing him. But I think that receiving per, like uh, part of his game is so much bigger. And so I think it's a great point. I don't think you should overpay. Like, if you're talking about uh, Le'Veon Bell versus Antonio Brown, take Antonio Brown. You know, I think to set a value on that can maybe – make people understand like where we're talking about, like we're trading them for. So long, like long-term value. Are you guys taking like Le'Veon Bell or are you taking David Johnson? If I were a contender, I would rather have Le'Veon Bell because I think that his immediate production is going to exceed. I think the offense is going to be much greater. I mean, he's a t- you know, potential hall of fame quarterback leading that offense versus David Johnson, who potentially by week five or the third quarter of the first preseason game, could have Josh Rosen as his permanent quarterback. So I think the the weapons around him, I think the offense he's going to play in. And here's my take on Bell. This doesn't help you very much, Ryan. But um, for me, I think that Le'Veon Bell is a great in-season both buy and sell. So that might help you, Ryan. I think Le'Veon Bell is a great guy that you go after if you lose a running back. Let's say you got a Kareem Hunt or a Dalvin Cook or, or one of these kind of top top-tier running backs and they get hurt midseason. I would go to the Le'Veon Bell owner if if uh, the Le'Veon Bell owner is not still in it for the title and say, listen, next year Le'Veon Bell is not going to be in Pittsburgh. I'll give you Kareem Hunt or, or Dalvin Cook who are in their early 20s and you give me Le'Veon Bell. And I bet that that owner would probably be likely to, to move him at that point because I think the narrative is yeah. going to only continue to grow that this is his last year um, – and I'm just not buying that. Yeah. No, I like it. I have nothing to add. I would agree. I would take uh, Le'Veon Bell over David Johnson. That, that, that's some great advice, Trey. Let's move down Narrative Street. And we've got to be careful because you look in the side, there's like an like a dark alley that looks scary, like bad Narrative Street. But then there are some roads that you could turn onto that look 
very pleasant. There are tree-lined streets. So, Trey, take us one, down one of those nice tree-lined streets, a good narrative, a good narrative street. It's a narrative boulevard. That's right. It is. It's, it's bright and shiny. It's lined with palm trees. And uh, so one of the narratives that I think you can really uh, buy into in the uh, dynasty world is surrounding draft capital. I did some number crunching this past week and kind of looked at – I looked at the last five seasons – um, 2013 through 2017. And I looked specifically at the wide receiver and running back position. And basically I filtered it out to where I wanted to only see players that turned in a season where in the games that they played, um, they averaged nine and a half or more points. Uh, and, and it was in a half PPR setting. So it's almost double digits. And I looked at the draft capital that was spent on these players at the running back position. So there were 106 finishes in the last five seasons at the running back position of nine and a half points or more per game. 59 of those 106 came from players drafted in the first or second round. Okay. So over half of those finishes were players drafted in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. 25 of those finishes were from players drafted in the third and fourth round and 23 of those finishes were players drafted in the fifth, sixth, or seventh round. So, you know, it's just taking into consideration that the performance and, – and the other thing that I found was that there were a significant number of players of those 59 finishes that had multiple seasons in those five years where they averaged that many points. So not only – whereas, you know, in the, in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round range – um, there were a lot of players that were only uh, repeated twice where, where um, they only did it two times. But in the first and second round cohort, you had two players that had done it all five seasons. You had three players that had done it four seasons and four that had done it three seasons. So the, the production that you're getting, and I know that this sounds kind of oversimplified, but people sometimes I think tend to buy into some of the other narratives like landing spot matters more or the, the team's offensive line matters more or what you think of the offense matters more. And I just kind of wanted to rehash that, you know, the, the data really supports that draft capital matters when it comes to production. Um, and then that was the running backs at the wide receiver position. It was even greater in the way that it was skewed um, of the same thing, nine and a half or more points per game. There were 81 finishes in the top um, in the past five seasons, 81 finishes of players averaging nine and a half or more points, half PPR, 53 of those 81 were first and second round wide receivers. 16 of them were round three and four wide receivers and 10 of them were round five, six and seven wide receivers. And I'm going to mention that of those 10 of the, that were fifth, sixth and seventh round wide receivers, five of them were Antonio Brown, who is an absolute, anomaly when it comes to production from the wide receiver position as a sixth round pick. And, and the same thing, you know, other than Antonio Brown, um, there were no other players that repeated from the fifth, sixth or seventh round. Um, and in the um, third and fourth round, there were only two who'd done it three years of the five. Whereas in first and second rounds, you had, you know, two uh, guys had done it all five years. One had done it all, four of the five, and six had done it three of the five. So you, you just continue to pay attention to the fact that um, 
draft capital matters. And the guys, primarily the first through third rounds, uh, there's really a pretty steep drop off after those first three rounds as far as significant contributing production from these guys. Hey, Trey, quick question. Um, so if you take out Antonio Brown, what was that, would that, that percentage be of those guys that were later rounds? Because he was a big chunk of that, wasn't he? Like, it, you, like four or five, you said, of those finishes? Yeah, if you, if you take out Antonio Brown, there were only five instances, which, which would have been, you know, that, that's five out of 76. So, you know, little, quite a bit less than 10%. Yeah, that's interesting because, and I think that what that tells us is like what our, our friend uh, Jordan McNamara, who was on the show last week, talked about in the late rounds, he wanted to target those running backs. You know, if, if you look at the, even including Antonio Brown, you look at, you know, the, the 10 versus the 23 that you mentioned, the, the odds of a, a late round running back being drafted, being fantasy viable, are much higher than those late round wide receivers. So I, I think the take, one of the takeaways with this, in my opinion, is to target those late round running backs versus those late round wide receivers when you're taking those rookie picks in your fourth and fifth rounds. Uh, uh, Will, what would you like to add to, to, to this, uh, this deep dive into these stats that, that traded? It, uh, it, it definitely affects where you should be taking wide receivers in your rookie drafts. It's one thing to just, just kind of value those picks. Uh, you also have wide receivers, you know, like a Doug Baldwin, who doesn't, who doesn't boom right away, but an undrafted free agent who ends up becoming a, w, a WR1 later on in his career. But the likelihood of those guys, we live in an age where dynasty fantasy football is getting so much more popular. And I think we forget about the rarity of all this because it's so much fun to research all these rookies and try to project what they're going to do. But, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, there, there is some simplification of who you should be drafting and where. And, Trey, I think this is a great point of the, of the narrative of saying, hey, if, if someone's in drafting the first three rounds, like it's, it's basically just like good, like good luck. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to, to making these dart throws. This is why taxi squads were invented and used in dynasty football. And this is where these guys belong for, for long periods at a time is for you to wait on those guys and have high opinions of them and to maybe like not trade them away and just keep them. And I think that's one of the best parts of Dynasty football is that you get that opportunity. But just know that when you win, uh, it's going to feel very, very, very good, but it's going to be very, very, very rare. Yeah, and, and I'll have to say, you know, my biggest takeaway, I, I did separate these into these three groups, the first and second round group together, third and fourth group together, and fifth through seventh group together. The big takeaway for me, though, was that the top three rounds is where the biggest difference is made. Um, among wide receivers, it was about 75% of the uh, years of production were first through third round picks. And uh, actually it was 80%, sorry, for wide receivers and 75% for running backs. So there's, there's a very clear drop off after the third round. And, you know, where this becomes important is not, it's again, it's not the only thing to look at, but I do think it's one of the more important things to look at because the higher the draft capital that a team spends on a player, the less likely, I mean, it's more money. It's, it's more opportunity. They're going to get uh, greater opportunities to fail before they're cut or traded or demoted uh, because these teams have, you know, fan, fan base, you know, you, Seattle's not going to spend a first round pick on Rashad Penny and then uh, just bench him like they did Eddie Lacy last year. <laughs> I mean, he's going to get every opportunity to succeed right. in that offense because of that draft capital. So it's an insulation. And so for me, when I'm in some of these, in some of these rookie drafts and I come down to two guys and I look and one of them was drafted in the middle of the second round, one of them drafted in the middle of the third, 
I, I'm I'm really tempted to use that as my tiebreaker because that that's a pretty big difference in in draft capital. It doesn't mean that you're going to be right every time, but I, I just the 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 data shows that the later you go in an NFL draft, the less players that you're having round by round that are producing at a high level. Uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite examples of this too is Devontae Adams being a second round pick and relatively high in that second round and. After his maybe maybe sophomore year in the NFL, after his first year, he was almost in, in some leagues, and I know in some leagues he was for sure waiver wire fodder. In a 10-team league, dynasty, short benches, people were letting him go. They were just done with him because he hasn't done anything. They're like, he hasn't flashed. He's a terrible route runner. He's doing all these things. And now what is he? He's a second-round startup pick, right? Like I had the discussion yep. that I was taking. I was like, somebody offered me uh, A.J. Green, for Devontae Adams in the 111, I was like, well, I, I, I actually prefer Devontae Adams to A.J. Green. So I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a, it, it does matter. It also matters for those stashes and for those to hold on to hope when a player doesn't flash in their first or second year. Yeah, there are a lot of examples of this. Like, look at Kevin White for the Bears. I, I mean, the Bears should not have him on the roster, but they do, <laughs> mainly because of the draft capital they spent on him. Um, that, that's not the best example in terms of like, you know, why you should go out and buy a Kevin White because of draft capital. But like guys like Nelson Aguilar, I had Nelson Aguilar in my league and not that he's this elite prospect like Devontae Adams, but I nearly cut him in one, one of my leagues and I'm glad I kept him because all of a sudden he has, you know, a decent amount of value, but a guy that was at the end of my roster that I really had lost patience in. And that's one of the reasons I like DJ Chark this year, guys, because he's a guy that I've seen in a lot of rookie drafts. He slips down to like in the third round, and I'd rather take him over some other guys because of the draft capital. And I know his college production wasn't amazing, but I think that's partially a byproduct of being at, at LSU. And we saw in the Senior Bowl, he was great. I, I made this point last week. He was great in the Senior Bowl. And, and he may not hit. He may be nothing. There's a lot of competition there in Jacksonville. But the draft capital, you got to look at him. They, they believed in him, and they invested a second-round pick. So that's one of the reasons I've, I've been interested in DJ Chark. And just be ready for him not to be this 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 uh, you know savant in year one. It, it, that's a yeah. really crowded wide receiver core. So in year one, maybe take a relax. All right. So let me ask you guys this question. So as I looked at these um, 106 running backs and 83, I think it was wide receivers. What I what what the data showed was the age for each occurrence that a player. Um, had a season where they averaged nine and a half or more points, fantasy points a game. Um, I took their age from that particular season, and then I averaged it all together. So what do you think was the average age for each group? What, what was the difference between the average age for these levels of production for running back and then for wide receiver? Uh, I'll, I'll go first, and I bet that I'm going to be better than uh, Ryan at this. <clears throat> I'm going to go 26.2. For which group? I average them separately. So I have an age, an average age for running back and an average age for wide receiver. Yep. Uh, 26.2 for wide receiver. And I'll go uh, 24 and a 24.6 for running back. Good luck, Ryan. <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to go, I, I think running backs uh, historically drop off about age 26. So I'll go 25 for running back and then I'll go 28 for wide receiver. So neither of you guys hit the nail right on the head. This is what was the most interesting to me. You, you, you guys were, were fairly close, one of you on each of your guesses. The, the age was actually one-tenth of a point off. So effectively the same age. It was oh. 20, 25 and a half for running back and 25.6 for, for wide receiver. 
Huh. And I just thought that was very interesting because, especially because if you look through there, there's quite a few uh, 22, 22, 23, 23, 21 with Todd Gurley, quite a few youngsters that are in this group of running backs. And uh, so it got me looking at it. And then there, there are a lot. I mean, I see, you know, Marshawn Lynch, age 28, LaShawn McCoy, age 28, Matt Forte, age 28, um, all averaging like 16 points a game. I mean, so just very interesting. I mean, here, Matt Forte at age 30, averaging 13 points a game. LaShawn McCoy at age 29, averaging 13 points a game. So uh, D'Angelo Williams at age 32, averaging 12 points a game. So I just – I thought it was very interesting – that the I would have thought that the running back average age was a good two years younger than the wide receiver age because they typically contribute much earlier. Um, anyway, I, I I found that quite interesting. I think what it shows you too is that there's some older running backs that really have been standouts. Like so, in general, I think it is a good idea to you know when a running back gets you know around 26, 27, 28, you might want to think about moving on. But there are some notable exceptions to that. Um, that, that we've seen. So that's what I, what I think that probably tells you too. I want to get de- to my good narrative street. And that has that was to a do- long boulevard. That was a long boulevard. <laughs> but a good one. But a good one. Really good one. Mine's a little shorter. M- mine is the narrative that you're hearing about Royce Freeman. He landed in the perfect betting spot to have a great rookie year. And I, I've not been so high on Royce Freeman until I started looking at this. When I knew we were going to do this episode, I started, started looking into this because I kind of thought this would be like a bad narrative street for me because when I look at Denver, I think, okay, they've got, they, they didn't invest high draft capital in the offensive line. I don't necessarily think their offense is going to be this like high octane offense this year. I don't necessarily think that Royce Freeman did anything that stood out, you know, in college, very good all around running back, but is there anything, that, any abilities that stand out? However, I think he does have an ability that stands out, and that's first down production. That's one of the things that the Denver Broncos have not been able to do. They've really struggled with that. And Royce Freeman happens to be one of the most productive running backs in college football last season on a per-carry basis running the ball on first down. Of all draft-eligible players, he led all of them with 7.08 yards per carry on first down plays. That ranked just ahead of Rashad Penny at 7.01 yards per carry. Freeman also ranked first among draft qualifiers with 35 first down rushes on first and 10. So even though he doesn't break big plays, I think there's a role that they see him in. I think there's no doubt that Royce Freeman is going to get all the first and second down work, and he certainly has the ability to get the third down work. I think Booker is okay at that, and I think Booker, you know, that you've heard – the narrative, like going, like like already this week, that okay, uh, Demonte Booker is going to get all the first team reps, but that doesn't mean much because Royce Freeman certainly is a better player in my opinion. Uh, you know, John Elway personally told Freeman he wanted him to be the team's bell cow back, and I think getting that first and second down work is a good way to do it. So, I like Royce Freeman. I, I think you do want to temper your expectations because that that um, you know that that Denver situation is not perfect, but. You know, one of the things about that about him going into the draft was that he needed to go to the right like like scheme in terms of a zone blocking scheme. He did with Denver. So, Royce Freeman, I think that's a good narrative. I think he is a good investment in the late first rounds of your rookie drafts. 
Yeah, I love this take. He, he's a guy that I have selected um, at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. And I did a little exercise. I was putting together a running back model, and I went through and calculated for this year's rookies that were taken in rounds one through four. And I put together what the fantasy points scored would have been for them in their best season in college, not necessarily the most recent. I took their best season, half-point PPR. And uh, uh, Rashad Penny was a little bit of an outlier, um, but he also – level of competition was, was much less. So I looked at Power 5 conferences, and of the, the, the players playing in Power 5 conferences, there were only two players who averaged over 300 – I'm sorry, only two players who averaged – um, scored over three, I can't speak, scored over 300 points. Saquon Barkley scored 343, and Royce Freeman scored 345. So he had – and if you look at total college production, he blows everyone else out of the water. I mean, he had four years of in absolutely fantastic college production there at Oregon. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do there in Denver. I think he uh, – has great upside, especially in year one. I think he's totally belongs in the first round of rookies drafts. He landed in a great spot to be able to, to flash himself. And uh, staying at Oregon doesn't bother me. Oregon is such a great college for athletes to stay at as Nike is a big sponsor. I, I talked about this earlier on a podcast where you have Phil Knight who builds his own buildings then donates them to the school. He doesn't just donate money and things like that. Like you live you kind of live as a baller when you go to Oregon because you're so Nike sponsored. Like that's such a fun school to play sports at and what you're doing. Like they have a lazy river as a part of their athletic facility and what they're doing. So it doesn't, when somebody stays there an extra year, like uh, they live like a King for another year and you can't really fault a running back for that because they're, they know they're, well, I don't know if they do or don't, but their NFL ice man isn't forever. One thing that gets me with Royce Freeman with his narrative street is give me some narrative street on Philip Lindsay. They're undrafted free agent, which I may have a weird obsession with undrafted free agents this year. And we'll talk about it on another episode coming up. But uh, he's a great receiver and a great, like, complimentary scat back or, you know, maybe even, like, a little bit plus to that team. And honestly, to Royce Freeman, although I do think he's a total value late in the first round, I think you should take him. But just maybe if you take him early first round, grab Philip Lindsay in the late rounds of your rookie draft because his production is pretty insane at Colorado and at altitude. And for what it's worth, you don't know how some rookie's body is going to react to altitude. And that is a total narrative street line because I've done no research on that, but people have different ailments and, you know, if they go up there. Uh, so my only, uh, like, comment to that would be add, add, just add Philip Lindsay later on. And one thing, that, yeah, I, I like that because you can get Philip Lindsay for real late in your draft. I mean, Maybe nothing. not have to draft him. Yeah, yeah he's basically nothing. And one of the things I also want to point out was this, this research comes from this article we'll post in the show notes. Uh, Royce Freeman's impact could be more significant than we think. And it has to do with how the Denver Broncos analytics team was, was suspected to be involved in this selection because admittedly John Elway hasn't necessarily had the best track record with, with some of his picks, some of these draft picks. So I think the fact that his analytics team has been involved and we're starting to see this growth and, the use of analytics in the NFL, I think that's only going to help. And I think he just fits that perfect niche. So I think he's guaranteed that first and second down work because that's what he excels at. And he has a skill set to be the bell cow. So I'm really excited about Royce Freeman. He's, 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 he's jumped up a couple of running backs 
I'm on my board after doing some more research. So why don't we move on to the bad? Um, unless, unless there's another good that we want to mention. Um, Will, because you, you had a couple more goods, but should we move on to the bads? Because there are a lot of bad narratives, and it's fun to go down those dark alleys. Oh, I, got, I, so. I got goods for days, but let's go to the bad. <laughs> <laughs> let's be negative. Come on. Urgh, I hate stuff. <laughs> uh, this came up, and I wish I could reference exactly where it came from, because it was a narrative street that I absolutely loved reading about. And I was, was reading about just the that the 401 draft pick is huge draft capital, and you should be more interested in who goes then because, you know, it's a break of a day. We're doing the NFL draft, so people have time to think about what the picks are going to take because you do round one, then you do two and three, and you have a break for four and one. So you have teams potentially trading up. You have all these things going on. And so I went and looked up only since 2010 because, I mean, honestly, like with the fantasy Joes, I'm not going to go back like like 20 years and do these, these draft things. But uh, so the 401, because I was like, wow, the 401, that's because Ian Thomas for the tight end – for Carolina. This is where this all stems from because I wanted, I have a really hard time planning a flag on a tight end this year from landing spot and what they're doing. And I was trying to do this. And this is one of the things that came up. I was like, Oh, this could be a great flag plant. I could do some look at, like research into him and get it. And uh, I was like, well, one of the things that, that, that came up is that the four one draft pot draft spot is uh, a great spot to be. So I'm going to go back through 2010 to tell you, uh, who has been drafted at the 401 and you go ahead and tell me if you know who this person is and some of them you're going to know. And then some of them are on defense and just let me know if you still think they're in the NFL. Uh, so 2010 was um, Marty Gilliard. Not nope. NFL. Nope. Uh, you're correct, but he just got cut from the CFL in 2017. He spent some years there. Uh, Brandon Hogan was a quarterback for the Seahawks in, in 2011. And I'm just going to run through these now uh, as far as the nope. research. Done nope. Those nope. Yeah, but he made it to the CFL, but was cut in 2014. So well, I want to get the little dings. Come on, ask us these questions. So I get the little <laughs> ding. Uh, Chris Givens. Nope. I didn't look it up whether or not he was. I think he's <laughs> All right, just run through him. It's fine. No, but he was. No, <laughs> so I only did the first two because I was doing it at the beginning because I wanted to have these like answers. But because like like Matt Barkley is still in the NFL. In the 2013-1, Matt Barkley. Uh, barely. Only because he's a QB. Yeah, no, but you putting him, you putting him anywhere. He was actually touted as like the one hundred one before he extended a year at USC. But again, four hundred one, huge draft <laughs> capital. Uh, Jalen Watkins, cornerback, Philadelphia. Ever heard of him? Okay, that's a guy he, I've heard of. But Sammy stuff. Watkins, yeah, I've heard of him. Oh, you said Jalen Watkins? No, I don't know who he is. Boo, boo your comments. <laughs> Angelo Blackson. I like the name, but I've never heard of him. Uh, defensive tackle, Tennessee. You never heard of him because he's never done anything. Uh, Joe Schubert. Oh, that's a linebacker for the Browns right there. <laughs> that's boom, a boom. So what is a big brain on Trey? Uh, but Trey, for your new brand Browns fandom. Yeah. Uh, I didn't share this for what it's worth. This was not on the show sheet. I didn't share this with you guys. It was not. It was not. Uh, so I'm super impressed. Uh, Vince, <laughs> Vince Bagel. Beigel. No. So he's a linebacker <laughs> for Wisconsin, drafted by the Packers last year at 401. So this year, Ian Thomas, tight end, Carolina. He's 22. He's from Indiana. He's tall. He, his player profile, the best comparable, is Austin Hooper. Uh, Carolina's a great landing spot as far as Greg Olson's old, but he's a good dude, and you think he's going to you know, try to mentor him. He's one man of the year a few times. He's interesting, uh, Ian Thomas. Yeah. And maybe you haven't listened to the seventh floor uh, rap that – uh, Greg Olson was a part of when he was in college at Miami, <laughs> but he's uh, 
He's he's really changed since since then and been man of the year a couple of times. But at the end of I'm the gonna day, try to, I'm gonna try to find the audio and put that in the show right you, here. What's your name? G Reg. What you do? Drop my drawers and let us see. My Chilling on the seventh floor. I gotta let these chickens know. Big Greg is in the house and I finna. I'm a then I bust face on the chest. Come on, fellas, let's get weird. Stick in the ear while I'm laughing at these guys. I said. It's not child friendly. <laughs> it's no. not at all. It's horrible. We can put uh, an E on the episode. It, it's called the Seventh Floor. Uh, and it's by the Miami team when Greg Olson was there. Okay. And it's uh it's I mean it's pretty funny to listen, but just don't hatch kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, the, the Ian Thomas, I wanted to buy into this narrative street that the 401 was super important. And what I found out is that it's it's not been over the past nine years. So my bad is that uh, I'm just super sad that the 401 isn't going to be as exciting as I thought it would be for next year. <laughs> After all that, <laughs> just uh, as far as draft capital goes, just the 401 is sometimes boring. Just like this, just like all these names were. All right. Well, that's that was a a dark alley that we went down. Trey, where is your dark alley off Narrative Street? What's what's your bad? So my bad is this growing irritation that I've got with this narrative of the Seahawks offensive line and the subsequent uh, devaluing of Rashad Penny, who just so happened to be the second in a, in a very deep running back class, happened to be the second running back selected behind Saquon Barkley. And I know that it's almost like it's becoming just this running joke that Seattle's offensive line is terrible. But I challenge you, if that's you, if you're buying into that narrative, I challenge you to go on Google and search for a couple articles just about the Seahawks offensive line and see some of the things that they're doing and have done there. The last several years, they've had very little draft capital invested in that offensive line since Marshawn Lynch left, I think, in 2016. Um, they made some trades and got rid of some guys, uh, but they have made some small moves there. Last year, their offensive line was atrocious, and it was largely contributed to by the fact that they were shifting players around. They had very little consistency from week to week on who was playing what position. The end of last season, they made a, a, a an underrated move when they acquired Dwayne Brown from the Houston Texans, a very talented offensive lineman that I believe is going to end up playing left tackle for them. And then uh, in the offseason, they acquired DJ Fluker, who is a right guard that is a mauler in the running game. If you look at the uh, predicted five men that are going to be starting on the offensive line for Seattle, they're relatively young as a core. And there's three former first round picks and two former second-round picks that make up these five. I believe that they have an incredible opportunity to be uh, a good offensive line, uh, not great, but again, when you were – like I, I saw several metrics that put them in the last seven or eight teams, so like 25th or worse last year in overall blocking and run blocking. So uh, not not only – do I think that they made significant improvements on their offensive line based on some continuity and some player moves they made? They changed up their offensive line coach. They're going to a scheme that I think is going to be 
more well suited to the talent that they have. And I believe that one of the things that people are kind of maybe overlooking about Rashad Penny is that he's really good at forcing missed tackles. And I just think that the narrative street of Rashad Penny not being worth a high draft pick this year in rookie drafts because Seattle's offensive line is not good is not accurate. And I think it's something that you need to kind of go take a look at if you've been buying into that narrative. Yeah, no, this is a good, and I, while you were talking, well, or Trey, I, I actually Googled and you're right. There are all these articles about it. Some really interesting nuggets. For example, they signed Ed Dixon. Why is that significant? Because he's considered by pro football focus to be the best pass blocking tight end in the NFL last season. They drafted a guy named Will Disley out of Washington. Why should you care? Should you get him in your rookie drafts? No, but you should care because he's the best, probably the best blocking tight end in the entire draft. And his name is Will. And his name is Will. So there is definitely signs like they can only go up, right? They can only go up. And I like that. And I cited a stat earlier, right? When I talked about um, Royce Freeman in terms of those yards on first down in college, you know, Freeman was number one, but who was number two? It was Rashad Penny. So, no, I think you're right. I think that's a good point. And, you know, just like you talked about earlier, look at the draft capital and look at, look at his production. Another thing to think about when you're looking at running backs that are going to be successful in the NFL, were they productive in college? He was extremely productive. Are they, are they fast? He's really fast. He's athletic. So, yes, I like this. Um, Penny is a guy that you strongly have to consider at the 102 you strongly have to consider him at the 102 for all of these reasons because he's really talented. He could be really amazing. Will Green was laughing at me. Will, why are you laughing? Oh, just because my 401 uh, narrative street was – this is, like, not nearly as exciting as this one, is, especially looking at the Seattle <laughs> offensive line. And you want to go down full narrative street? We do. We have Dwayne Brown. The one who is awesome, Dwayne yeah. Brown. And you want to who can teach these guys how to block? Dwayne Brown. And you know what is a good offensive team historically? The Seahawks. So good luck trying to like fool that narrative street and them taking an RB or running back uh, in the first round. So I totally agree on everything. I'm just, uh, the only thing that makes me sad is that mine wasn't as exciting as this. And I'm so hyped up about this. I think it's a, such a great narrative street. I think that right now, if, if those of you guys that are doing MFL tens, I think that Rashad Penny's going in like the fifth or sixth round in M- MFL tens right now. I think that's a huge, huge steal. So if you're doing MFL, I think that he has incredible potential in full PPR leagues to be a running back one next year. I know that may sound crazy. I'm not being hyperbolic. I truly believe it would not shock me one iota if next year he produced right along with, if not outproduced, Saquon Barkley in full PPR leagues. I truly think he's going to have incredible production. I think the offense there in Seattle is going to be good. They're not going to have the defense that they've had. And, and I really, truly think that there's going to be a lot of points scored in Seattle next year. And Rashad Penny, I believe, is going to, to be a big part of that. I think he's a lock for 12 to 14 touchdowns. As long as he doesn't get injured. That's the other narrative street of Seattle. <laughs> Come on. What, why do we have to like that? Why do I got to be that? I mean, like, that's a bad that narrative bad. street. <laughs> it's what it, is, it is one, right? Like uh, there was uh, the angry running back hating God that was at Iowa for the whole career I was there in college uh, where all of our running backs would get hurt or they'd do something stupid and get kicked off the team. I feel like that just transferred to the Seahawks. Hey, guys, have you heard of Gabe 
Fertitta. Well, Gabe Fertitta was the high school football coach of one Darius Geis. Why do I bring up his name? Because that's my bare narrative street. The idea that Darius Geis is this major character concern. He's a locker room cancer. He's not going to last a couple of years in Washington, only a couple of years because the guy is a, is a major uh, personality concern. And what I'm here to tell you is that, according to Gabe Fertitta, he's not. Okay, so, okay, Darius Geis. What do we know about Darius Geis? We know he's a little bit different. He's kind of got this quirky, unique personality. Well, you probably would too um, if you had the rough life that he did. Um, his father was murdered when he was six years old. Uh, I don't know how many people can, can relate to that. Not too many. When he went to this high school, he went to this college prep school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was going to this college prep school with all these other you know, wealthy, affluent, privileged white kids, right? Um, so he wasn't a saint when he got there. But what was his worst infraction when he was at this private school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana? You guys know? It was facial hair. You have to shave. He had a mustache and some hair on his chin. So the kid was great in high school. He didn't get into drugs. He, he has not been involved in any domestic violence disputes. You know, the, the kid plays video games. He's big on social media. Yes, he made a, 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 you know, a mistake during the, the pre-draft process by talking about how these NFL teams were asking him about sexual orientation when they weren't. So, Can I jump in no, real quick on that last uh, part? No. If you want to. Uh, well, I just don't think that we, there's no facts one way or the other whether or not that's true. Just that the invest, investigations found nothing. And I, I hate that. That he came out with it and it might have been some cheeky comment whether he said it or not. But the whole, uh, the whole, it's a whole one-sided argument now that he made that up. And do, do you really think he just made that up? It just is, it kills me. And I, this is the narrow street you're going down. Uh, but yeah, I just don't, I don't believe that he right. just made and, that and up. And we know, I mean, let's face it. We know that these NFL teams, they're, they're very conservative in nature. They don't want people to rock the boat. They, they, you know, look at what, ha- what, what has happened with, um, why am I forgetting his name? Help me out, the quarterback that used to play for the 49ers, guys. Colin, Colin, Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. Look at what's happened to him. Um, so, you know, the NFL teams are nervous. They, they don't like guys that are a little bit quirky. Um, but guess what? They've had a guy like this on their team, Clinton Portis. Remember Clinton Portis? He was a little bit quirky. He had these crazy press conferences. He was these caricatures. And, and he was a very successful NFL running back. So my, my point here is that I think the Darius guys has this kind of, you know, outside-the-box personality. I think he's fun. He's funny. He, he's not the super, super serious. And I, and I think that that does make some NFL teams nervous. But the fact of the matter is he was still drafted in the second round. He's still an outstanding football player. So if he was your number two running back coming into the draft, I think you strongly consider, need to consider keeping him at your number two um, running back with your rookie drafts. So I think that narrative is kind of bogus. I don't, I don't really think he is this major character concern. Do I think he's, he likes to have fun? Do I think he likes to be on social media, play video games? Yeah, but, the, but the, one of the things that his coach said about him is when he sat down with, with him and, and his senior year, one of his coaches sat down with him and said, we need to slow down on the social media stuff. Guess what happened? Darius did it instantly. He has a track record of being this great guy by going to bowling alleys and talking to kids, signing autographs. He's a good guy, man. He's a good cat. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, good. So he's, he's, he doesn't, he's not into drugs. He, he, do, he doesn't beat up people. 
don't don't not draft Darius guys because you're afraid that he's this like bad character. That's that's bad narrative, man. That's bad narrative. If you don't want to draft him with the 102 because you like Penny better, fine. But if you liked guys like easily the number two running back into the process and you don't want to draft him at, at number two now, that's just don't, don't listen to the narrative. I'm totally in on that. Uh, he like his no, but his whole narrative like was that not. I don't know. You look at uh, running back slips and how they've affected where they've gone in the draft, and it, it doesn't concern me whatsoever. Still in the second round, still a, a big amount of draft capital invested in him. I love Darius Geis, and these things about him, I just am so curious. This is such a clouded mess. You just have a kid that maybe said too much on an interview when he shouldn't have because it's like the good old boys club of the NFL, and I hate that part about the NFL so much. And the fact that he now lost – I mean – Let's just say he was the number one two, or sorry, the number two prospect going into the draft. It cost him millions of dollars because he said some people asked some inappropriate questions. There's no actual proof one way or the other on that, but there is proof that it cost him. <laughs> I mean, if he was going to be number two and go in the first round to be in the late, the uh, like later on in the second round to the Redskins, that cost him a ton of money. It really, really bugs me about that. And well, that's a good point because we're just we're just taking the side of, of you know these NFL teams that this didn't happen. But but I can't you see an NFL team asking a player, even though it's illegal, to ask someone like, "So are you gay? What's your sexual orientation?" You can totally see a team asking that. That's that's not beyond their own possibility. So I, I I like that that take that it's very possible it happened, and other players just just don't want to say anything about it. Maybe their agents say to them, "Hey." NFL team is probably going to probably going to ask you all kinds of crazy questions that really aren't legal, but you know what? You just answer the questions and you don't talk about it. And he yeah. probably has a personality where he's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to mention this. And that was a mistake. I mean, for his draft capital, um, was a mistake for him to speak out? No, because you know, teams aren't, you're not supposed to ask that, you know? Um, well, yeah. That, what, what kills me is he, he dropped down from that. And like, it's so now there's this investigation, but who was really investigating that? Are all those conversations really recorded and were they published? No, you get nothing. You get nothing as a consumer. The NFL is investing like, that, just like with the game, <clears throat> right? It's it's all this internal thing. The NFL yeah. like controls it. So I don't know. It's, 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 one of the things I really really hate is when they do this to somebody to like teach them a lesson or something like that. I don't know if that's actually the case, but it very. You talk about narrative street. That's a much easier narrative street to read than that. Darius Geis is a bad kid. Yeah, he he. I, I think he's a really good kid. There's an interview that Mike Florio did with him before the the draft process uh, that you can listen to on on his uh, Pro Football Focus podcast. It's worth looking up. And I listened to it. and I thought this is a cool cool kid. I mean, he's a, a great guy, and I you know I I just think he's fun. And, and the NFL needs more of that, frankly, not less of that. So I, I'm a big fan of his, whether I draft him at the 102 or not. And I, I hope he's very successful. Trey, you have any? So yeah, I like on? it. I think, okay, yeah, I think we can. All right. So now we're back. We're now we're into the, um, <laughs> that we, we did the good and the bad. Now, now we're going <laughs> to do the Joey, the Joey. And, and, and Will, is that supposed to be the, the, the ugly or is that supposed to be just like our kind of like miscellaneous takes? Well, I feel like some of my takes can be kind of ugly occasionally. So uh, self-deprecating <laughs> Joey here. <laughs> well, I just, uh, because we're, we're, we're doing what we do, and we do put a lot of time and effort into this, but I like to call it the Joey because it's fun. So what's your, what's your Joey then? All right, so my biggest one is that the, the pa- you don't want any part of the Patriots' backfield. Sonny Michel is the core of this and where they took him in the draft and what that offense does. And don't discount what the New England Patriots has done for running backs over the years, even if it's a little bit of a committee. And let's go full recency bias and just look at 2017. Deion Lewis finishes RB15 in full-point PPR. 
without bonuses, without anything. I was using a uh, 444's point browser for this, just uh, for what I was looking at. Uh, in 2016, Le finished number nine overall. A guy who doesn't even catch passes finishes number nine overall as a PPR running back in 2016. That's, in, that's so great. Uh, let's go back to 2015. 2015 was, I feel like, the wild, wild year uh, where a lot of people were, like, fantasy kind of exploded onto the scene with a lot of things that they were doing. But anyway, we're, we're narrative street here. So, But Deion Lewis was their top running back to me overall. He only played seven games. And I, let's just extrapolate that out real quick. Let's give him 14 games. So at that production at 14 games, he would have finished his running back four. And he wasn't even the main running back when, with what they were doing. But that's the year he, like, he tore his Achilles and it was – you know, super nasty injury, things like that. So wind it back one more year to 2014. So Shane Freeney finishes RB20. And this might have been the most messed up year for the Patriots. It's the one year where Jonas Gray went super hard for one game. That game actually cost me a playoff spot in one of my fantasy leagues. I distinctly remember that it was horrible, uh, at least against me. Uh, Ridley only played six games, anything. But Jonas Gray was literally their leading rusher for that year. But Shane Vereen is a pass catcher. And what he did, finishes RB20. And then I'm going to wind it back all on. I'm going to go gloss over a couple of years. And let's go back to 2010 where Ben Jarvis Green Ellis was their, their number one running back. He finished 17th, but he rushed for over 1,200 yards that year. And 2010 was a, a huge year for running backs. And so for him to finish 17th wasn't even that bad because that's where you were taking running backs anyway. You didn't expect a lot of production from wide receivers in the same way. What I want to get with this narrative street and what I really, really want is this is my Joey is Sony Michelle. Is, is being discounted as what the Patriots have taken him at, and he's falling down past these guys. If you're win, like, like win now or like whatever you want, the points you want to get out of him, he's being discounted further than what he should be because of the Patriots' history. But if you actually look at the Patriots' history, they've had a mess of injuries and a mess of a lot of, like a lot of other things. But at worst, I feel like you're going to get a top 20 running back in PPR with Sony Michelle. And what else do you want from a rookie running back than that? Yeah, well, I love this. And, and I was actually looking at your stats versus what they have on FF today for PPR. And, and on there, they actually uh, performed better. So 2017, Deion Lewis was the 13th ranked running back in PPR. 2016, LeGarrette Blunt was the 7th running back in PPR. So you have some years where their top guys were 30th, 28th, 26th. But in 2012, um, Stephen Ridley was the 10th PPR ranked running back, and then Woodhead was yeah. the 25th. So, I mean... 15th, 15th for Stephen Ridley, but this is, a no, you know, like, no, no bonuses right. and, like... Yeah, and it, it doesn't... Yeah, it depends on who, whose rankings you look at. But but anyway, that that is this false narrative that everyone's like, oh, you never know what the Patriots are going to do with the running backs. Oh, you know, they're, no, no one's going to be fancy viable. Well, clearly, we've seen it. You look at the... Historically, that offense is going to be a top offense. He is the number one dog. I mean, do you... Do you and think about the other thing too with, with with Michelle is going into the draft. Everyone had him. I think everyone had him as like a top four or five running back, right? And now after the draft, he goes to like one of the best offenses in the league, and he's drafted in the first round. And you want to drop him out out of the top four or five? Are you crazy? What are you thinking? It doesn't make any sense. Just don't overthink it, man. Just look at it. Look at the draft capital. Look how good he was at college. Look how excited you were about him going into the process. He's in one of the best offenses in the NFL. You want to take Michelle <laughs> super high in your rookie drafts. Just don't overthink it. Don't be stupid about it, man. I love the value that you get with him. It's so nice. All right, Trey. What do you think? 
I took him at a 103. I did put my money where my mouth is. I like that. it. It's perfect. 103, 104. That's that's where you want to take him. I mean, like Drasri slips to the. I I I, I um traded up to get him at the at the 107. One of my leagues. He's at the 107. Are you ridiculous, man. That's crazy. I'm glad to have him, but like I got him at the 107. What a steal, <laughs> in my opinion. Trey. Yeah, I like it. I th- I think you're you're right on. I mean the the narrative street of the lack of being able to trust the Patriots running back is ridiculous. Um, I think it's an incredible, incredible take. And, and I think that, you know, it speaks volumes for a team like that, that has gotten so much out of so little spent a first round draft pick on a running back, uh, especially in a draft that was so deep uh, with talent at that position. So I, I love it. All right, guys, are you ready for my Joey? I kind of want to like stand up and take off my shirt or something. I don't know. It just does so much fun. <laughs> you're you're going to want to because because uh, this this is going to be hot and this is going to be about well basically just just what we're going to hear from from now until you know the the season starts, right? So we had rookie minicamps and there's this really great podcast here in the Chicago area that unless you're into Chicago sports you're going to listen to it. It's it's Hogan John. So they were talking about um, this, the, you know, this rookie minicamp that the Bears had and basically how uneventful it was. It's just a bunch of rookies in shorts running around and they're just learning plays. They've got a lot of these undrafted free agents coming in. They're signing some of these guys to these, you know, minimum contracts. And they were talking about how one of their colleagues, um, Mark Potash, who writes for the Sun-Times, you know, always ever since they've known him with any Bears coach, they, they go into these press conferences, whether it be a rookie minicamp or OTAs or whatever, and they ask the coach, okay, so coach, who are you really excited about? What player should we keep our eye on? And, and John Fox was the type of guy that wouldn't like, you know, he wouldn't, wouldn't feed the reporters. But we got a coach in Chicago, Matt Nagy, that will feed the reporters and knew this kind of question was coming from Potash. So he said, you know who I'm really excited about? I'm excited about this kid Fleming. This kid Fleming, Fleming. it's Matt Fleming. He is a Division three track star. He's six feet tall, 180 pounds, probably soaking wet, but he's fast. And man, Matt Fleming, we're so excited about him. So what happened in the Chicago area with the papers, with all the blogs? Like, a, like there's this, the, one of the many blogs that covers the Bears called Bear Goggles On. And there's this, this story, Chicago Bears, Matt Fleming standing out amongst tryout players. And there's a story about how you should watch Matt Fleming, how he could be this breakout star for the Bears eventually. But that's kind of bogus, right? So basically there are coaches that know they need to feed the reporters and they're going to tell the reporters, you know, like whatever they, they think they want to tell the reporters just to, so they can write a story. And obviously Matt Fleming is not like a guy that this is going to show up on Roto world. But as we get deeper into the summer, you're going to hear these stories that are going to show up on Roto world only because a coach is trying to appease the reporters that he has, to have this relationship with. So I just want to remind people that our friend Chris Harris talks about this all the time, the echo chamber and all this nonsense that you hear, just, just don't buy into it, but, but we do tend to buy into it. And this is a tangible example of a reporter that they know a relationship he has with the coach where, where they know the coach is just like, he's just saying a name. Maybe he's a little bit excited about him, but he's this, this, this guy they signed from this division three school. How excited can you really be about a guy like this? But they got to, you know, he's like, okay, I'll make these reporters happy. I'll give them a guy to write about so there's a good story for the paper. But, but don't, don't take it too far. Just, just you know, just, just take those Roto Blurb, um, Roto World uh, little blurbs with a grain of salt. That, that's that's my, my Joey. And we know this, but I think we can't, 
we need to remind, we need to remind ourselves. We need to remember our listeners time and time again that we got to be careful because we buy into this stuff. We get excited. Devante Parker, there's, there's a, there's another one for you. We've already heard that he, he looks great. And it's easy to go down that narrative street like, well, he's got this opportunity now. We Devonta Parker has been so excited for so long. And now it's like his fourth year and he's going to break out. But, but come on, really? Is he going to break out? I mean, I guess. But we've, we've heard this, what, for like the past two, three summers, haven't we? Uh, are we really going to buy into Devonta Parker again? Yes. Because the coach is trying to, trying to feed the media in Miami? I don't know. Wait, so Matt Fleming is the next Invincible and so I can trade him to you for Devontae Parker. Is that what we're getting at here? <laughs> I might take Fleming over Devontae Parker at this point. I mean, Ooh, ouch. Fleming is the reason taxi squads exist, right? <laughs> so my take here is go out and get Matt Fleming. It's going to be an art, you know, wide receiver two in three years. Matt Nagy is his first head coaching job. Tout some kid nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> um, so that's my, and, and Trey, you said you kind of wanted to, you, you had a Joey that was a little bit similar to mine, right? Yeah, I, I think really at this point, any of the alerts or blurbs that you get, Roto World or SleeperBot or however it is you consume your updates, basically from now until potentially the beginning of training camp, more likely the beginning of preseason, don't react to any of it. Listen to it. More importantly, what I would do is – if you're in a league and you've got a guy, Devontae Parker is a great example, or someone that you've kind of lost hope on and there start to be some really positive blurbs, I'd shop them and see if you could trade them because there are going to be people that are willing to buy into that clickbait or, you know, echo chamber nonsense, as Chris Harris puts it. And I think that you'll be able to sell guys at a, a, an increased price because of all this coach speak and, positivity that's going to be coming out all the beat writers all the uh, media surrounding each of these teams are going to want to be putting out good content pumping up their their team and their players I think that you're going to see that coaches are going to love the way that their rookies or their free agent acquisitions look in training camp and so I think that there's just going to be a lot of opportunities if there are guys that you've identified that you would like to unload off of your roster um I would look for a blurb to come across or a couple blurbs to come across on that player and then start shopping them. Yeah. Th- this article on, on bear Girl goes on is so funny because, because it is like a story, right? These guys have to write stories that like, like, <laughs> <compute>. so, <laughs> let read this, like so here, here we go. Are you looking for an, the underdog to follow this summer? Yeah, yes, I am. I'm, I'm looking for the underdog. <laughs> Matt Fleming, the division three track star who's playing for the wide receiver, of the Chicago bears now. And then it goes on to talk about, um, um, he also stood out in the back of Matt Nagy's mind after practice. Coach Nagy was asked which practice player stood out most after three days. Nagy was quick to throw praise at Matt Fleming. I think the one kid that stood out was Matt Fleming. He's not a real big kid, but he made his assignments, did the job, and made some catches. So, okay, so slow down. Okay, he, he made his assignments. He did his job, made some catches. Oh, boy. But the way this, 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 this article is written is like, yeah. He went on to say that, this was no slight to the other four and that he was just picking one name and put on the spot. Still, he was on the spot and went straight to Fleming. <laughs> that means something. I mean, come on, just read between the lines of this dumb article, right? With all due respect to the, this guy that wrote this article on, on, on Beggar was on uh, Parker Hurley. I apologize for saying your article's dumb. You got to fill content. 
Um, let, let's do lunch sometime because I'm sure you live close to me. But um, anyway, you, you get the point. It's just it's a whole, you know, an hour train ride away from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> That's he lives up in my neck of the woods, I'm sure. So can, can also look at that bat flying because I didn't know this. This was new. This like I hadn't researched this. It wasn't like brand brand new, but uh, the the picture they have for Matt Fleming is Matt Nagy. <laughs> just like they're just showing the coach leaning over at this article. That's fun though. Yeah. At least they signed him. They signed him to a contract. Which you want to know who else did that? The Vikings and Adam Thielen. That means something, Will. It could mean it, – it, it definitely means something. I don't know what it means, but it means something. I love the narrative that Joey's uh, – yeah, the, this could mean this, – this means something when somebody ran fast at practice. They caught balls with, that they were supposed to catch and dropped some that they probably should have dropped. All right. Well, anyway, guys, I think that's it for Narrative Street. Do you want to sing the song <laughs> again? Oh, man. Oh, I'm, I think – yeah, here we go. Let me get another shot at this. Are you quick. serious? You want to? Yeah, right. just real quick, just real quick. Over, I kind of like stutter over some words. It's draft day. I've analyzed stats and film oh, all the way. Oh, I thought we were going to do it to the audio. You just want to do it by yourself? No, no, never. I'm on my way, but need more info to be concrete. That's how we get. That's how we get to Narrative Street. This was a great episode, and we want to thank you again for listening to another episode of the Fancy Joes. Email us, thefantasyjoes at gmail.com, or better yet, contact us on Twitter. We are at FFJoes on Twitter. Your feedback is welcome. Let us know how we're doing. We want to hear from you. We want some reviews. Post some reviews, but only five stars, only if they're positive. You never want to miss an episode, so please, please be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Twitter. Trey is at Trey Barrett. Will is at Fantasy Joe underscore Will. And if you and, if you at me if you at me on Twitter, I'll respond. Absolutely. And me too. I'm at Roto Librarian. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes. Fantasy Joes. We come at you weekly on Sunday nights, early Monday mornings. What shows? When. <laughs> We bring interesting, unique takes, and the price is right because we're free. Can you tell me how to download the Fantasy Joes? Just go to iTunes or Stitcher or one of those sources for your podcast. Every week. The bigger question is uh, Laurel or Yanny? I heard that. Uh, And people here, Laurel, are messed up. Dude, I must be messed up then because that's what I'm hearing. I hear nothing but Yanny, like clearly Yanny. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, I also just think the internet is messing with us, and I do not want to subscribe to these things. No, it's not. There's an audiologist that's commented on it already. As far I want as you like to download medical- it though on your computer and then replay it for people, just like the pictures. I want printouts for people to, to choose from. Man, I tell you, I had this friend of mine a few years back this is probably six or eight years ago that forwarded me this mp4 on my phone and i hit play and i heard this like high pitch shriek (laughs) and they said only people over the age of 30 can hear this and literally i would i would go to like young people they couldn't hear it and then i would go to like older people they could hear it like i'm i kid you not there was a beeping like this beep and 
there were a litany of people that I played it for and they couldn't hear it. And so anyway, I like when I listen to that audio, all I hear is a guy say, Yanny, Yanny. Uh, okay, here we here oh, we go. No, we're gonna no. we're gonna do it as a group. Yes, I don't want this is done here. Yes, yes. Come on. Laurel. 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 Laurel, right? Laurel. No way, he's saying Yanny. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome that's that's awesome (laughs) this version leaves no doubt (laughs) it's the best version i've ever seen (laughs) can i play the audio and you do it with the audio no, because it's too loud in my ears. I can't sing to the I'll turn it. I'll turn it down. I just don't want it. I feel like I, that's my best performance is right there. Oh, come on. Just try it. This is, uh, I'm being peer pressured. Okay, here we go. <laughs> it's so loud. Turn it down. It's draft day. Van lies, stats, and film all the way. So I'm on my way. But did you do me more concrete? This is horrible. It's how we can't do narrative screen. Oh, good. That was awesome. Now, now we have an outro. <laughs> well, what you should do is pick that music and play it over the my last one. Did you say awesome or awful? Awful. Awfully awesome. Uh, that was a Joey. <laughs> <laughs>